2: This is Tim here from the Great White North, and you're listening to, like, the Surely
0: You Can't Be Serious podcast with my honorary hosers, Dee and Jason.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here today with our top five picks from the year 1978. So if you like the nightlife, if you like the boogie... (laughs) This may not be the list that you love. I don't know. I'm waiting to see what Mr. Jason Colvin has come up with from this year. Because yeah, yeah. for this year, there were a lot of very big chart-topping hits that I am like, there's no way this is getting on my list. I mean, Andy Gibb, not on my list. Sniff and Tears, not on my list. The Are Players, you- not on my list. Are you trashing my list already? I just don't know. I'm just saying, if you love disco you may love this list. If you love rock, you may love this list. If you love country, if you love women singers, you may love this list or you may hate it. I don't know where this list is going to go, but there are so many freaking great songs from this year that it was agonizing to cut this list down to only five. (laughs)
2: No, I've been sitting here for 30 minutes waiting on you to cut it down, you know? It's going to be different answers for me tomorrow. It will be
1: different answers by the time we finish the podcast than it is right now. But I just have to say, time to fish or cut bait. Let's go. Let's do it. I've written my stuff down. I've murdered the babies. Let's jump in.
2: Let's do it. Okay, so the the tricky part about this
1: is this is pre-MTV. You and I were both very young. For three quarters of the year of 1978, I was two years old. Okay. Two. Yeah. But I thought, and I thought to myself, well, am I really going to know much of the music from there? Oh my gosh, yes. I just have to, I have to at this point say thank you to my parents for being avid music listeners because this music, a lot of the songs I probably haven't heard in 40 years. But going back, I was like, I would love to listen to this as my parents listened to the vinyl LPs playing yeah. in our living room. Yeah.
2: Okay. So I, w- I turned five years old in 1978. So I'm a-, I'm a few years older than you. So this list is definitely shaped by my parents' musical tastes, right? Yeah. Pre MTV. I didn't really have tastes of my own, so I just sat around and listened to their stuff. Definitely hear their impact here. Bare Necessities doesn't make the list.
1: That's probably one of my favorite songs from that time,
2: right? This is from my mom spinning records and me listening to, to her stuff, you know?
1: Yeah. And it turns out my parents were actually pretty cool.
2: <laughs> That's great. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Okay.
1: So you and I
2: established a few rules for ourselves. So of this list, we're going to do five, our top five songs plus two honorable mentions, yep. and we're leaving out any song that we have covered so far. Correct. Yeah. So that eliminates everything from Greece.
1: If you want to check out our Grease episode, it was very recent. We'll put a link in the show notes for you so that you can go check out that. But we covered the whole album. That Grease soundtrack episode is doing pretty well for us. Yeah. And it was a humongous hit. It was. I mean, so many songs from that album in this year just hitting the charts all over the place.
2: We wanted to come with fresh songs. So if you want to hear us talk about Greece, go back and listen to that.
1: Nothing from Saturday Night Fever. Same story last year but we still cover that whole album. It's been one of our best episodes. Yep. So we've covered that, we covered those two and then the biggie.
2: Nothing from Van Halen 1. <laughs>
1: a hard decision to make right but my my list was literally over 50 songs long without van halen on there if you throw van halen they could have taken every spot they could it was kind of like when we did 1983 and thriller could have had all five spots sure sure so i just had to say listen we covered that in detail on like our fourth or fifth episode go check out our van halen episodes they're some of our best received episodes we love them but we covered van halen's debut album pretty thoroughly in that episode. pretty thoroughly yeah and then also
2: I eliminated from my list, Hold the Line by Toto, because we discussed it kind of in the pre-Toto 4 episode that we did. Another great song from 78. Oh my gosh, it, it would have easily
1: been in my top five. Sure.
2: Okay, all right, well let's get down to it, man. Let's uh, let's see what babies are left.
1: <laughs> all right, here we go. Number five.
0: Five.
2: Okay, we're going to tease this up. This is how we do it here, right? So we, I tease it up with some little trivia tidbits for you. Yep. And you try to figure it out exactly. I think this is going to be a little harder to, to tease it up because our experiences were different. We were little kids, so let's see how much we can get done here. Okay. Okay. So first thing, uh, this was released January of nineteen seventy-eight. It peaked at number twenty-one in May of seventy-eight. Okay. So clearly, a seventy-eight song. This began as a joke and kind of like a dare by Phil Everly of the Everly Brothers. Okay. Okay. So he dared this artist to write a song about this particular movie that he had watched. He even thought, maybe you could start a dance craze with this.
1: Wow, all of these 78 songs are swimming through my head, and I don't i don't have a clue what this one is. Okay,
2: all right. So when they were jamming out this song, the artist, who I haven't named yet, and the guys in his band were just jamming, free-flowing out lyrics. Well, they had a great time. They thought they had something going. They came back the next day. Of course, they're all high as kites. <laughs> they get there, and they're like, hey, let's play that song we were working on, and nobody remembered what they had said or what they had done. Okay. But the guy's wife took notes. So some of the early versions of this song include name drops from Jimmy Hoffa, Marilyn Chambers. Does that ring a bell with you? No. That's good. You weren't watching porn in the 70s. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and Linda Lovelace, who oh, okay. was deep throat. There you okay, go. Yeah, yeah. Playing on this song, John McVie on bass, Mick Fleetwood on drums.
1: Okay. Anything is, coming to you? Is this a song off of Rumors? It is not. Okay. It is not. Okay. Keep going.
2: Took ten minutes to write, and it was a standard. And this, I'm not a musician. Uh-huh. This is the what what it said. It was G C. D, which is a lot of popular songs, G, yes. C, D. Yeah. And they just had a ball just kind of making it, scratching it out. And literally it's the only song by this guy I know.
1: This is not Fleetwood Mac then. It is not. It just has Mick Fleetwood just, on the drums. That's right. I, you've got me, dude. I don't know what this is.
2: Okay. The movie that they watched that Phil Everly and Warren Zevon watched uh-huh. was called Werewolves of London. It's <laughs> oh, <that's> great. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so this was not a this was not a baby for me. I didn't have I saw that one on the list and I was just like, oh, that's not one of my That's not one of my songs. Okay. And that's important to note for the, for our listeners. We're not necessarily picking songs that were like crowd favorites. We're not yeah. picking chart toppers. We're not even picking songs that have lasted. We're just picking songs that we like. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh but yeah, no, when you said that, I immediately thought of Sweet Home Alabama, the chord progression, because that's what that same thing. But Kid Rock did a thing where he combined Werewolves of London and Sweet Home Alabama. That's in his, right. In his song as well. So the, that was a big
2: song that was called All Summer Long. Yeah. Okay, so quick. Quick story for you on this. I thought this was hilarious. Okay. While they were jamming, uh, one of his buddies comes in. He's like, "Hey, what's this song about?" And he said it's it's about werewolves. And the guy means <laughs> like, "Oh!" He's like, "Yes." Yeah. hear howling around your kitchen door. They added that to the song. <laughs> Fantastic. When they they came out with this as the lead single from that album, Uh he was really mad. He's like, guys, we're just fooling around. This song's a piece of crap.
1: Oh, my gosh. Ah Ah
2: Quick story for you on Warren Zevon. Okay. The only reason I bring this up is because we just did Billy Idol's Rebel Yell, and we talked about the Chateau Marmont. Hotel, yeah. right? Yes, yes, Okay, so Billy Idol had a, uh, some trouble there. If you want to hear about that, go back and listen to that episode. Yeah. That's also where John Belushi had his fatal overdose. Yeah. Okay. Warren Zevon checked himself in there to have his own personal drama. Checked himself in. The only thing he brought with him was whiskey and a forty-four Magnum. That does not sound good. Does that sound like a good that combination? That does not sound good. Guns and booze, right? Oof. Well, apparently, while working out his issues, he was standing on his balcony, shooting his pistol across Sunset Boulevard at a billboard of Richard Pryor. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So there you go. Wow. Tortured rock star. That's a good
1: one. Great. Okay. Great job. Thank you. All right. To your number five, sir. Okay. So you may get this one quickly or you may not, because when we do these things, we kind of text back and forth. And so I've, I've tipped my hand a bit here and there. Okay. Okay. So this one was a number one on the Billboard Hot 100, which is rare for my songs. Typically, they're not going to be number one in 78, but this one was a number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Okay. It also won the 1978 Grammy for Best Pop Vocal Performance. It was written by a guy named Randy Goodrum. Randy was born in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I'm from Arkansas. You know, so it was kinda cool to see Oh, hey, this song. When I came across this song, I hadn't heard it. Again, this was one I hadn't heard in decades, but when I heard it, I was like, Oh my gosh, this song is I mean, it brings back all of those feels that I had from listening to music as a little kid. And so after I listened to it a few times, I texted you about it. And then I texted my dad about it. And I'm like, You guys, you know, do you remember this song? And my dad, who I mean, this is his response is so out of character, but it was just hilarious. He's like, This brought tears to my eyes. I had to listen to it five times. I'm like, whoa. whoa, the tough bearded man is like, what? But I mean, this was one of the joys of of growing up with my dad is that we both played music, and so this music is something that we really share. And he said I had to look up the guy who wrote it. He's from Hot Springs, Arkansas, and gave me a little more info on it. So, he went to Hot Springs High School as well. He formed a band called the Three Kings, although they were also called the Three Blind Mice. It was him, a couple of drummers, and a saxophone player who you might know. His name is Bill Clinton. What? Yeah. So Randy Goodrum was in a band with Bill Clinton when they were both in high school. Okay? Whoa. <laughs> and so he goes on and goes to college while Bill's at Harvard, I guess he's over, you know, in Conway, Arkansas, going to Hendrix College. He becomes a songwriter, but isn't having a lot of success. He's gone out to L.A. He's trying to pump these songs and everybody's like, hey, we don't want anything, but keep going. You're doing great. And so he's got this. He's He said, I was better at writing music at first. And so he's got a lot of musical snippets that he would just have lying around. And so one day he's cleaning up his office and he's like, I'm taking a break. He sits down with the musical snippet and plays it on the piano. And then the the first two or three lines come to him and he's like, oh my gosh, I, I think I've got, I'm onto something. And literally the rest of it just poured out of him. He goes and plays it for his wife and she goes... Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> Reminder, this was a, became a number one on the Billboard Hot what? 100. This was the song that broke him, and it also broke the female lead singer, the first female Canadian to hit number one in the U.S., and also the first female Canadian to earn a gold record in the U.S. I have a guess. Is this You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone? No. Okay, no. Similar sound, but no, different Different singer. Okay, okay. So the singer later on, she's struggling. She, she's married to a music producer named Bill Langstroth. They have a son together who's just a toddler. His name's William as well. And she's just like, I'm struggling with trying to make a career as a musician, but also be there for my son. Because, you know, it's not like when mommy goes to work, she's gone for eight hours. It's she's gone for two months. And so it was this real difficult situation she was in. And she was scrolling through some tapes that she had of demo songs, and she comes across this song. And she, see, she sees it, she hears it, and she's like, this captures exactly how I feel about these two men in my life, my son and my husband. But the only thing that's on the tape is this guy's name, this Randy Goodrum guy. I... I I got nothing. I mean, I'm nowhere. The beauty of this song is almost religious. The name of the song is called You Needed Me by Amber.
2: And and gave me dignity. Somehow you needed
0: me. You gave me strength to stand alone again, to
1: face the world. making me weep, dude. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And it's been, I mean, I haven't heard that song in forever. Like all of the songs that you still hear from this era, I haven't heard it from ever, forever. And I, I tell you, I only put it in number five, but of all of the songs, I replayed this one more than any of them. It just, it brings out all the feels. And it's crazy because it has no chorus. There's no chorus in the whole song. Interesting. When he tried to promote it before and like, finally listened to the tape... People would be like, well, don't you want to put a chorus in there? And he's like, why? It's already, you know, long enough. It's just, I don't need the chorus. And ultimately, everybody, including his wife, yeah, it's pretty good, (laughs) (laughs) was wrong. And it set him on a music career, by the way. He went on to write O'Sherry. Steve Perry. Stop. Yes. Uh, He had another big hit from 78 called Bluer Than Blue by Michael Johnson. And he also (laughs) wrote If She Would Have Been Faithful by Chicago. Chicago.
2: Yes. That's fantastic. I bet I haven't heard that song in four decades. There you
0: go. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? (laughs)
1: Very good, very good. All right, that brings us to number four. Four. All right, number four.
2: You know, when you're talking about all the feels, this is the one that kind of brings out the most feels in me. This almost didn't make the album maybe one of this artist's most well-known songs. Okay. Okay. If it had not been for Phoebe Snow and Linda Ronstadt walking by and listening and hearing the song, it probably would not have made the album. So here's the deal. It's a chick song. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. They walked by this artist who you very well know. Yeah. Who we've covered here at the Shirley Can't Be Serious podcast. Okay. They walked by and they're like, man, this song's fantastic. And the guys in the band were like, really? We're not sure if we like it or not. Okay. I mean, we think it's pretty good, uh-huh. but we're not really sure. And they're like, like grabbed him by the shirt collars. Like, if you guys don't put this on the album, you're crazy. Wow. This is a fantastic song. You guys are being such guys. So the women were the ones who were like, this is an amazing song. He wrote this for his wife on her birthday. Okay. All right. Released September of 1977. Peaked at number three on the charts in 1978. It has been covered by Barry White, Frank Sinatra, Isaac Hayes, tons more. Won the Grammy for Record of the Year. You got anything for me?
1: No, I don't.
2: This particular artist also sang it to Oscar on Sesame Street. (laughs) Okay. Okay? Uh-huh. All right. I got nothing. Nothing? No.
0: I'll play it for you. All right. Don't go changing to try and please me. You never let me down before.
1: Mm-hmm. This is Billy Joel's Just The Way You Are. Fantastic. I remember <laughs> I, I, was, I was struggling. I'm like, we've covered the artist. So, yeah, What what a incredibly great song off of the stranger so this is one of a bunch of great songs off of the stranger That's like right. you've 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 got just the way you are you've got the stranger you've got moving out you've got scenes from an italian restaurant incredible and then of course in 78 in october of 78 52nd street comes out and it's got another slew of. it's great amazing names. right such a great artist. i take you just the way.
2: So this obviously is Billy Joel. Uh, there were several Billy Joel songs that I had to mark off the list as we <laughs> right. whittled it down. Yeah. The tune of this song came to him in a dream, right? Yeah. And he was like, oh, that's really good. That's really good. Went to sleep, woke up the next morning, and he was searching for it, couldn't really find it. Like, man, what was that tune I was listening to in my head? Mm-hmm. A couple of days later, he's in a business meeting. He's like sitting there with accountants and you know lawyers and you know, boring people. <laughs> right. And he's like sitting there, and he's like, "Ooh." Oh, that's it. And he literally stood up and said, Guys, I've got to go. I got to go. Right now.
1: Right now. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Just the way you are,
1: Billy Joel. It's a great one. Great, great pick.
2: Hey, by the way, just I I want to throw this out there real quick. Yeah. Accidentally, I have kind of a theme running through my songs. Oh, okay. It doesn't encompass every song, but the theme is baseball. Billy Joel is a baseball fan. He's a Mets fan, New York Mets. One of the things that they do now for the New York Mets is in the middle of the eighth inning, they all sing Piano Man. And he's been there, and they it's this wonderful thing that everybody in the stadium is singing Piano Man. It's really cool.
1: Yeah. To year number four, sir. Before we jump into my number four, I'm glad that you mentioned Linda Ronstadt. 1978 was a huge year for women singers. Linda Ronstadt's album was phenomenal. You've got Anne Murray, which I mentioned. You've got Bonnie Tyler. You got Debbie Harry. You got Patty Smythe. I mean, that's just to name a handful of the big hitters, but it was a huge year for women in music. Yeah, good call. Good call. Yeah. Okay, so my number four. What is my number four? Okay. All right, here we go. This one almost escaped my radar, but then I was scrolling through the billboard. Hot 100. And I was like, oh crap, this song came out well enough to be in in the Billboard Hot 100 in 1978. I can't not include it. So at the time that he wrote the song, the songwriter, who was the lead singer for the band as well, they were opening for Kiss and ZZ Top and Aerosmith. Okay. And he's standing there with his main band buddy and he's like, the band buddy is like, Do you think we will ever be the openers? Do you ever think we'll get the gold? Right. And he said he wrote this song as this kind of idea of you, we're going to look back on these memories fondly, but maybe we didn't get the gold, even though we look back on it with fondness. Okay. It became a huge hit for them. They thought after their original hit a couple of years earlier that it was going to, they're going to start steamrolling, but it wasn't one that gave it to him, right? Okay. There's references in here that are almost biblical, but the songwriter, Dennis DeYoung, was trying to get something going after they had had a big hit with Lady. This is off their 1977 album Grand Illusion. So Dennis DeYoung is in sticks.
2: This has to be Come Sail Away.
1: I'm sa- This is a song that was great for me when I was a kid that kind of fell away as songs do. And then something happened as I'm raising my own kids, and I'm like, oh, you guys haven't heard this song? And I turn it up and Somehow it became like the, the go-to song when we're driving in the car together. <laughs> and I've got, you know, I've got my kids that are eight and six at the time singing as loud as they can this 1978 hit. And I so when I got home a couple of days ago, I'm like, hey, Brock, do you remember the first time that I played Come Sail Away for you? And he was like, yes, I do. And he was the six-year-old. like uh-huh. I mean, he was very young. Right. And I was like, what did you think? And he makes this kind of sour face and he's like, I thought, uh. And then I thought, Wow, this is pretty good. A
0: gathering of angels, Appeared above my head, they sang to me this song of hope. And this is what they
2: said. They said, come set away, come set away,
1: come send away with me lads. Come send away. <laughs> And I was like, "Yes, yes," oh, because man. it's this beauty. It leads you in with this soft, beautiful. Like I, I, I'm going to go slow dance, and then whoa, where are we at? where are we now? What? Oh, we're hard rocking. We're banging our heads. I mean,
2: fantastic freaking song. It's amazing. I've got a personal story for you regarding this song. Okay, yeah. And this song was uh, one of the ones that was close and nearly made it for yep. me. Okay. Yes. So, a couple years ago, my son, Quinn, is in the high school band. Yeah. And he's a junior high. He's like seventh grade, right? And we play basketball. We're a small school. It's small, a tiny gym. Well, they put the band, who's really good at this school, in the visitor's side. Well, the one song that they knew, other than the Star Spangled Banner, was Come Sail Away, right? And that's what they... So, they blew the eardrums out of the visitors the entire <laughs> season. They would just turn and, come sail away.
1: It was awesome. That's, that's awesome. fantastic. So, listening to Dennis DeYoung talk about this one, he was he was like he was doing an interview, and the guy was talking about how much the song meant to him, and he says, "Listen, you can say that all you want, and I appreciate that. You know, I I really I'm glad that the the music hit for you. But let me just tell you that from 1984 to 1995, nobody brought that song up to me. Not one word, not from anybody. I was wondering what's you know what's next for me in life." For that good 11-year period. Yeah. And then in 1995, I got a call from this guy named Matt Parker. What? And he said, hey, we've got this cartoon. We'd like to use your song. Is that okay? What? And initially, I was like, well, heck yeah, because nobody else wants to use it. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. Let me check out this cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. And he's like, what's it called? He says, it's called South Park. Uh-huh. He goes and watches it, and he sees the Barbara Streisand episode, where like, she's this monster robot or whatever. And right. he's like, are you going to Barbra Streisand the song? And Matt Parker's like, no, no, no. He's like, I had a a radio show when I was a kid, and this was one of my favorites. We will not. He's like, the idea is when Cartman hears the song, he has to finish it. (laughs) And he said from 1995 on, his phone did not stop ringing. I mean, Freaks and Geeks, Adam Sandler movies. I mean, it's everywhere.
2: Thank you, Matt Parker and Trey Stone. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, that's a great one. I love it. All right. Near miss for me. Three. All right. Number three for me. This is where my baseball starts to come alive for me right here. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So the guy who performed this and the guy who sings this, Uh they're huge New York Yankee fans. Okay. All right. And the reason I bring that up is because there's a very prominent Yankee featured in this song.
1: A Yankee baseball player?
2: Former Yankee baseball player. Okay. Okay. You with me so far? I'm with you so far. Do you know what I'm talking about? Not yet. Okay. This song was a product of an attempt to make a rock musical out of the story Peter Pan. Okay. All right. The girl who sings in this song was actually hired to be the Wendy character. Now, the producer, Todd Rundgren, who we've talked about. Yeah, Liv Tyler's stepdad. That's right. Inventor of the graphic tablet. That's exactly right. (laughs) When the writer of the song, Jim Steinman, okay. who was originally the producer for Def Leppard's Hysteria album, yeah, came to him and he said, I want Phil Rizzuto, voice of the Yankees, to have his own sort of narration in the middle of the song. Todd Rundgren is not, not a baseball fan. He's like, what? What are you talking?
1: What? What are you? What? I've got it. What do you got? This has to be Meatloaf, and it has to be Paradise by the Dashboard Light. That's it. Ah, right. Any round, second.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He's out. No, ain't safe. Safe at second. (laughs) Jim Simon was talking about this, and he actually scripted those words out for Phil Rizzuto, who's the voice of the Yankees. Yeah. And he wanted him to do it like he was calling a game. Okay. And Phil Rizzuto was like, he's rounding first, headed for second. (laughs) He slides in. He's safe. No, he's out. Jim Simon's like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm reading the words you wrote down. He's like, no, I want you to call the game. So pretend pretend like it's the Yankees and the Red Sox. He goes, there's nothing dirty here that I'm saying, right? And they were like, no, no, no. Oh, no, sir. No, 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 no. So after the song comes out, because they, he, he recorded his part without the music, he sees them at a Yankee game, and he comes up to them, and he's like, he calls them Huckleberries. <laughs> you Huckleberries, you tricked me. It's dirty. <laughs> they're like, sorry, Phil. Uh, here's your check. <laughs> exactly. He made a $1,000. For that song. Oh. And that's it.
1: Him and Vincent Price can cry in their beer together.
2: <laughs> Four parts to this song. Paradise. Baseball. Stop right there. Stop right there. I gotta know right now. And praying for the end of time.
1: Praying for the end of time. So I can end my time with
2: you. that so it. Peaked at number 39. In September of
1: 78 I don't fault you for this choice at all But it, it, I said when we first started on this thing I'm like I got 50 songs And I'm pretty confident that we're not going to overlap Yeah And I've been right Like this I saw Meatloaf and I'm like Not a Meatloaf fan Wow That's okay it on I mean I don't hate it But yeah. it's just Wasn't my ideal right sure. You know Great song. Okay. To you, sir, for your number three. Okay. It's interesting that you said that number three is where the baseball analogies come in because this is almost like a baseball idea and almost like a Yankees baseball idea, but I don't want to give it away too much yet. Okay. Say. All right. Okay. So this song came from a group that gave themselves their name because of how bad their circumstances were. Like they couldn't they didn't have a pot to piss in they couldn't make any money and they literally were would wander around different places in the UK trying to listen to different bands to get some feel for what they might have as their sound right? okay all right and so one night they go into a pub so one night the lead singer the guy who's going to write this song he goes into a pub in a place called Ipswich in the UK okay Haven't been to Ipswich myself. I don't think it's very big. I haven't been there either. Okay. He said he goes in and there's like these three or four tired musicians in the corner playing Dixieland music Okay, in the UK in the seventies. Right. And he's just fascinated by what these guys are doing. You know, they're just playing some really kind of crazy music for that time. And a little bit later on, he's looking for an idea for a song and he's, he's like, I'm going to write about that experience. I'm going to write about going in and seeing these guys play. And he composes it on like an old dobro, like an acoustic bluesy kind of guitar, plays it for one of the band members, and they're like, eh, it's eh. And so he like pinches pennies, buys himself a Fender Stratocaster, and he redoes the whole chord progression to make this song a completely different song with the same lyrics that he's written, but it's all about coming in and seeing this band. And he's talking about the band. Now he mentions a couple of the band members names. It's doubtful that these are the actual band members of the band he saw in Ipswich. Some people say they're the name of a couple of guys from the easy beats, which we've talked about in our back and black. Yeah, episode, we right? have. Yeah. Yeah. He talks about, Harry, who has a daytime job, and he talks about Guitar George, which is probably George Young, Angus Young's brother. Yes, And the song is similar to what they call the very famous baseball player, but what the song title actually comes from is when this Dixie band that he heard late night one night in Ipswich, they were playing to maybe three or four people, <laughs> and they stand up and they say, thank you, we are thee, and announces the band name as though they're the biggest band in the world. Do you know it? Well, you're all over ACDC. Yeah, it's not ACDC. It's not
2: ACDC. No.
1: Okay, I don't know it. Guitar George, he knows all the chords because they are the sultans of swing. got it so i showed my big list of all of the songs that were in the running for 1978 to kevin davis and i'm like am i missing anything because kevin's a few years older than us and i mean he was he was more in the prime of his life at that point really listening to radio and he's like no i think you got everything but sunday night at 10 o'clock he texts me he goes hey bro did sultans of swing come out in 1978 If so, it needs to be on the list. (laughs) And I said, it's definitely on the radar. He's like, put it on there, please. Best song to listen to with headphones ever. And he's not wrong. It is. Mark Knopfler is a musical genius. And just if you're wondering, I mean, we know, I mean, we got our Dire Straits experience from... Money for nothing, right? And Brothers in Arms, that whole album. Yeah. The whole album. So for Money for Nothing, it's just under 460 million. Okay. That's what the downloads are 460 million. Okay. Right. right? Walk of Life, yeah, 600 million. Sultans of Swing, 1 billion, 83 million. Wow. Check out guitar, George. He knows all
2: the chords. Money strictly rhythm. He doesn't want to make it cry all soon. Really? Yes. That surprises me a little bit. It is an incredibly good song. It's amazing. I love it. I love it. Short list for me. All right, to my number two. Two. All right, some people believe that the inspiration for this song came from when the band was recording over in France. I think I know it already. You're you're smiling. I think I know
1: it already. You keep on going, though. Okay,
2: see? You're making me nervous. We're going to have our first crossover.
1: Nope. No, you keep on going. Okay.
2: They were in Nice, France. Yeah. And as they were recording, one of the things that was happening in their area was the Tour de France. So they were witnessing the Tour de France. Okay. I don't really know other than you saw a lot of people's backsides
1: while they're riding bicycles. Bicycle. Okay. All right. I'm going to go ahead and say that I thought I knew what this was when you started and- it's not what I thought it was then, but I think I know what it is now. But you keep on going, okay? okay. Yep. All right.
2: I don't want to lead you astray because no, no, it's no. the other one, okay?
1: Uh-huh. So here's the thing. They wrote <laughs> two
2: songs because of this. One of them, called Bicycle Race, appears in this song. It cross does. references. It does, yeah. And this particular song, my number two, cross references Bicycle Race, and it was on a double A single. So both singles were an A side.
1: If I may. This is... Fat Bottom Girls by Queen. Get on your bikes and ride. Hang out, Fat
2: Bottom Girls. You make the rockin' world go round. Hey. I was just a skinny lad. Never knew no good from bad. But I knew life before I left. This is a top-down, turn-it-up song from 1978. It comes on. I'm blaring out the speakers. I
1: got to tell you that I am very glad that you picked this one, because there were three songs from that year that I was like, "Which of these three do I pick?" I mean, I've said a bunch, but you gotta have Queen on this list in '78. You, you, you have to have Queen. Not have Queen, but I've got a I've got a different album. Okay. Well, I
2: got I got a couple give, more nuggets give for me, you, and give then me your nuggets. Okay. Yes. So here's the deal. So Brian May wrote this song. Knowing full well that Freddie Mercury is going to be singing it. Huh? And it did cause him a bit of pause, knowing that he was going to be singing so strongly about women, even though he knew his preference. Yes. And he's like, that eh, didn't matter.
1: It's like and basically, you can interchange. I believed him when he <laughs> talked about Big Fat Fanny. <laughs> Such a naughty Such nanny. Such
2: a naughty nanny.
1: This is off the album Jazz, right? It is. Okay. So, have you seen the fold out in the middle of the album?
2: No, I haven't.
1: It has about, I'd say, 50 or 60 women on bicycles who are all naked except for helmets and socks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well done, well, well done. done. Queen. <laughs> well done.
1: That is awesome. Well, uh, I, I'm tipping my hand a little bit too much here, but it is appropriate that your number two is Queen because my number two is also Queen. All right. Different album. Okay. Earlier that year was literally written, Freddie Mercury said, I wrote this song to be used for football games.
2: Okay, I already know what it is, but go keep going. No, just go ahead. I, this I, has to be We Are the Champions.
1: I feel completely okay saying that it is a tie for second with We Are The Champions and We Will Rock You. Absolutely. They, they go together like peas and carrots. I mean,
2: have, I haven't heard them
1: separated. You can't separate them without causing gnashing of teeth and wailing. That's right. and the outcry is strong. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? You cannot play We Will Rock You and not follow it with We Are The Champions. It's so true.
2: When I end up We Will Rock You, I always expect to hear the beginning of We Are The Champions.
0: We will, we will rock you.
1: So I started with We Will Rock You when I was doing my research, and i like trying to pull it up, and I'm like, I can't find that this hit the Billboard Hot 100. That's not possible. It's because they were putting them together, and so We Are The Champions is what... I mean, because We Will Rock You comes first and slash We Are the Champions. Right, right, right. But the way that they, when they released the single, it was the other way around. And so We Are the Champions was hitting the charts hard in January of 1978.
2: Ah, I love it i love it we played this whenever my baseball team won the summer league in 1982 we put it
1: on the jukebox well and it was i mean they wrote it for football and it was part of the fifa championship from i don't remember like 98 or something like that and became another big hit again all right so we're at our number one now right well, before we get to number one, we have to do our honorable mentions, and this is this is where I'm struggling because I've got five and I've only been allowed two. <laughs> and I don't know what to do. Okay, so I'm gonna let you go to your honorable mentions first, and maybe you'll knock a couple off my list. Okay, so this
2: is where my parents' uh, taste kind of seeps in right here. Yeah, in a 1980 issue of Current Biology magazine, I know. Nothing about. <laughs> okay. It called this song the most recognized tune since Michelle by the Beatles. And I probably went, which one is that?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but this funny. is the, one of the most popular instrumentals of all time. Yes, I did say instrumental. It was released in December of 1977, reached number four on the charts in 1978.
1: I have a guess. Okay, what well, do you I go. have a guess. Okay. Is this Close Encounters of the Third Kind, John Williams?
2: No, but that's a good guess.
1: Okay, because it was on the charts in 78. Right, 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 right. Okay.
2: Okay, I, okay keep going. Man. Keep going. Okay. So this was nominated for Record of the Year. This is not some obscure song. Wow. Okay, yeah. It lost to Just the Way You Are, mm-hmm. which was on my chart as well. Okay. It finished the year in chart for 1978 at number six. This is a huge song. Okay. This guy, the artist, his name is Chuck Mangione, also wanted to be a baseball player, but instead became a flugelhorn and trumpeteer and composer. He also created the Cannonball Run theme, if you remember that, back when we covered Cannonball Run.
1: Wow, okay. You
2: know this song? No. Let me play it for you, see if you recognize it. Again, most recognizable since Michelle by the Beatles.
1: Okay, so I've heard this song. I feel like I heard it on Mr. Mom. Maybe. It's possible. <laughs> Is this a General Hospital theme? No, it's just called, a song called Feels So Good. It was just
2: an instrumental, and it was played the crap out of on the radio. Wow. I remember playing it when I was just sitting around playing with my Star Wars guys. Wow. My parents loved this
1: song. Okay. All right. Well, hey, I, I can tell it didn't strike a chord with you. It did not. I, Record I knew of our, the year. I knew our list would be different. There you go. <laughs> Okay, what else you got?
2: Okay, my other honorable mention is a song strongly associated with baseball. Again, it was originally written about Los Angeles, but has since become synonymous with the San Francisco area. The guy who wrote this song, it was one of his first songs that he brought to this band who were huge in the 70s and 80s, and still today, they're huge. Originally only reached number 68 on the Hot 100. This song is played at San Francisco Giants games, Oakland A's games, Golden State Warrior games, 49ers games, and this artist has sung this during the World Series. Okay. When I play this song, you're going to know every word. Okay. Ready? Yep.
1: Yeah, it took took one chord. (laughs) This is Lights by Journey. That's it. Okay.
2: So originally, the lyrics were, when the sun shines on L.A. Oh, okay. But when the band moved to San Francisco, Steve Perry's like, man, that just fits so well to say, the sun shines on the bay.
1: Love it. Yeah. I would pick, of that on that album, I would pick Wheel in the Sky, but this is definitely a close second for me. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's so singable, right? Yeah, very. Yep. Okay, so I, I just at this point, I've just to I've got to apologize to Joe Walsh. I've got to apologize to Billy Joel. I'm really thankful that you brought up one of his songs, but there's another one that was totally like a killer for me. I've got to apologize to Kansas. <laughs> but anyway, okay. So my first honorable mention is the one colorably disco song that I have on my list. Okay. All right. Yep. And the title of the song, well, first the song begins with an a cappella chorus. You know, it, it's beautifully done of the, the four members of this band, right? Two guys, two girls. The title of the song comes from the writer, one of the guys in the band. Uh, he was a runner. And so in, as he was running, he would have a rhythm in his head of... T-ca-ch, 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 t-ca-ch. And that became... This is
2: Take a Chance on Me by Abba. If you change your mind... Hey, we have actually covered Ava twice now.
1: Yeah, with your Patreon episode. With we'll the
2: Patreon episodes, the two guys broke off and created the song one night in Bangkok. And Annie freed Frida. Yeah, released the song. There's something going on, which we covered on our Patreon as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is my, I love a lot of Abba Abba songs. This is probably top of the list for uh, me. I you,
2: ca- you can't really have a late 70s list without Abba somewhere in
1: there. This song actually, it didn't reach as, ho- as high on the charts as Dancing Queen, but it has sold more copies than Dancing Queen ever did. I love it. Absolutely love it. All right. My second... Honorable mention, I think we have to cover this album at some point, okay? Okay. So this was the first single off of the debut album of this band. The band's debut album was self-titled. Same name as the band was the name of the album. There are three fantastic songs on this album. They're still being played today. I'll walk into CVS, and this will be on the the PA, (laughs) right? Okay. So there are two guys who sang in this band, they've both since passed away. One of them that has very good looks, blonde, blue-eyed, beautiful voice. The other one is, I would venture to say, hideously ugly <laughs> and has a very strange voice, but is probably the more recognizable of the two guys. Okay. They set the standard for the, the way music sounded in the 80s with this album from 1978. What? Wow. We have talked about them briefly before because their follow-up album, they used Mutt Lang as their producer. Okay, this has to be The Cars. You got it. Debut single is called Just What I Needed. I don't mind
0: coming.
2: That is a great one.
1: Thank you. Good call. Yeah. And now that
2: you say it, I'm like, that dude is ugly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Rick Ocasek is not a handsome man, but is.
2: He married Paulina Poroskova. Yeah. Who is gorgeous. gorgeous. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So you had Just What I Needed. You had My Best Friend's Girl and you had Good Times Roll. All on this album. Nobody was playing music like this back then, and these guys were nobody, and they came out with their own sound, and it set the stage for all of the music you heard in the 80s from That's
2: fantastic. Hey, you know what? I mean, Heartbeat City by the Cars is on the schedule for next season.
1: Yeah. I can't wait to talk about this it. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Okay. And then just a couple of, wow, I didn't know about this group or this song. Kay. Okay. Okay. One of them was a group that the apparent lead singer was lip syncing the whole time. And this is interesting because the guy who was really singing, who wrote all the songs and did all the music, is the same guy who was behind Millie Vanilli. Yes. You know this?
2: I do because I just watched the Millie Vanilli documentary.
1: Yeah. So the name of the band is? Boney M. Yes. And the name of the song is? Rasputin. Yeah. Although when they sing it, it's Rasputin. <laughs> yeah.
2: What? The same dude who did Millie Vanilli. Di- well, you got to watch that documentary. Yeah. They
1: got an exotic dancer from the Caribbean to come and pretend like he was singing the song. Yes, But these guys just they never hit it quite as big. But I love the music. I'd never heard it before I started listening to... Big hits of 78, and I came across Rasputin, and I was like, whoa, this is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. It, it is it, not a black guy singing the song. It is a white guy singing oh, the yeah. song. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, I
2: was interacting with Amanda Janik on Facebook the other day. She's like, you guys have got to do the Millie Vanilli thing. After watching the documentary, it is incredible. She, she was going back and
1: forth with me. So, All right. Well, you twist my arm. I'm, I'm interested enough. We can talk about it. It's, it's a good story. It was heartbreaking. All right. And then the other one was a song that I had never heard before. Absolutely loved, very 70s sound. Named after and kind of modeled after a nursery rhyme. The lead singer for this band would go on to his own individual stardom in 1984 with a big hit for a movie. Who are you going to call? Ray Parker Jr. So the band he had in 1978, do you know this? Because again, this is great. I see this band and the name of the band is called Radio. R-A-Y-D-I-O. Okay. I show this to Kevin Davis, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's Ray Parker junior like, holy cow. So here's the song, because you probably haven't heard it.
2: Jack. Jack.
1: Jack. To so the name of that song is Jack and Jill, and okay. it just, I mean, it oozes 70s for me, so... A little I,
2: ditty about Jack and Jill.
1: You got it. <laughs> there you go.
2: Nice, very good way to way to pull Ray Parker Jr. out of that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, interesting. Here's a couple of near misses for me. Okay, just throwing these out there for you. Copa Cabana really wanted to jump onto my list.
1: <laughs> it was it was in my it was in my radar as well. You, well it this, really was.
2: My, this list was shaped by my parents. Yeah. Uh, New York Groove by Ace Frehley really wanted to be on there. Uh huh. I mean, If I Can't Have You was the hardest one to cut, but we had already covered the Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. And then Don't Look Back by Boston. Oh, it was such a great song. It hurt to leave that one off.
1: Yeah. I had to struggle with leaving Roxanne off because ultimately what I did was, well, it didn't really hit until it was re-released in April of 79. So I've got to make that cut. And then apologies to Bob Seger as well, but it was more of a 79 song than it was a 78 song. So, and for me, it was an 83 song. <laughs> Old time rock, rock and baby. roll. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. One. Okay. okay. So we're, we're to our number one. We're to our number one. So let's see what you got. My hey, friend, we have had zero crossover. Zero. That's as I expected.
2: That's fantastic. Okay. So my, should I go first? I you go, go first. first. All
1: right. Yep.
2: Okay, this is going to crush me if our number one is a crossover here. but uh, I don't think so. I really don't. Okay. So my number one song by a one-hit wonder artist. Okay. Except he was with a group who had a very well-known hit from the 70s, early 70s, like 1973. Okay.
1: That's similar. Keep going. The song that he hit with Uh when he was with the group Steeler's Wheel. Oh, my gosh. We finally have our own, and it's at our number one position. How about that? Oh wow! That makes me so happy that we both picked the same song for number one. High five, baby! All right. (laughs) So nobody else knows what we're talking about yet. So go ahead. The the song that he had was a hit from Steeler Wheel. It was called "Stuck in the Middle with You," which is featured in Reservoir Dogs. Most iconic scene, which makes the song so iconic. Yeah
2: stairs clouds to the left me Jokers to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you you sound stuck in the middle with you Im
1: one but yes I would not have called this particular gentleman a one-hit wonder but he didn't do much after this album nothing that i recognize anyway so the name of the album that this song that we're talking about appears on is called city to city this guy's first band was a group a folk duo called the humblebums which he was in with a guy who became a big stand up comedian named billy conley the scot the scottish comedian like i yeah. mean every, you know him right yeah you i mean, do you know, yeah. yeah so that was that was his original band and then of course like you said he was with steeler's wheel they had that big hit but then they had a very bad breakup of the band
2: well and then they got in a fight with their record company and they couldn't record for three years
1: three years and so for three years he's aimless he's drinking heavily and this song he wrote because he would go to these meetings that he would have with the lawyers and the accountants the boring people where all this fighting was going on right and he would just get frustrated and not want to have to take the train back so he had a buddy who lived on a particular street and he would go over there and just play music and drink and write and that street was called baker street I can never get tired of this song. It's so good. It is so freaking good. I have to point and scowl at my friend Clay Yoakum, who last time he was up hanging out with me, he was like, I can't stand that song. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, it's like it can't decide what kind of song it is. I'm like, that's why it's so good. Oh, it's epic, man. And, I mean, my, my friend listens to Radiohead, which I love too. But I mean, talk about music that's all over the place. But anyway, this song covering this experience where he's thinking to himself, I'm going to give up the booze and the one-night stands, buy a little piece of land. I mean, it's all autobiographical on what he's going through. And then has this beautiful ending when they finally get the suing and the lawsuits and all of that stuff done. He writes this... last these last lyrics, when you wake up it's a new morning, the sun is shining it's a new morning, you're going you're going home
2: He used to think that it was so easy He used to say that it was so easy But you're
1: trying You're trying
2: It's a wonderful song. I love it. This is another one. I remember listening to it while I was playing with my Star Wars guys. Yeah. By the way, have you heard the song by Steve Marcus called Half a Heart?
1: Yes. What do you think? Very similar. Uh Uh-huh. Let's play it. Let's have a listen. Yeah. You decide. Okay. Legitimately very similar right and it's a horn that's playing too right Huh? Uh-huh. now what's interesting is that jerry rafferty you know he's finally recording now he's he settled all the lawsuits and he's recording this album with this song on it and he had a space where he wanted this lick right and somebody else said you should probably use a saxophone for this one so they call up this guy named Raphael ravenscroft there you go thank you for saying that Sounds like a character on Harry Potter. It does. (laughs) Ravenscroft. (laughs) And he comes in and they, you know, they do what they do. He lays down this sax solo. To this day, he says, it sounds horrible to me. The, The sax is flat. It's not timed right. And I'm just like, you're a moron. Right. How do you and but then he went on to say, "Hey, that was me. I wrote that and I should be getting song credit for it." And there was a bit of a fight, but then ultimately, they found demo tapes That's where right. Jerry Rafferty is playing that same lick on a guitar. Yeah. So, no, sorry, buddy. You're not you're not doing it. You pulled the Melissa mingle. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, not only does it have this incredible moving story behind it, not only does it have this incredible sax solo, you get two minutes left in the song and you are getting some ear-splitting, kick-ass guitar solo. It's amazing. It comes screaming in at the end. It's wonderful. This The, the guitar solo is a guy, by a guy named Hugh Burns. It, what is funny to me is he's the guitarist on this one, which has conceivably one of them most recognizable sax solos ever, he was also the guitarist on Careless Whisper. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. By
2: the way, this is the same Baker Street where Sherlock Holmes lived. 21B. By the way, a quick little baseball connection to Jerry Rafferty. Yeah. He wrote a song about Bill the Spaceman Lee. He was a pitcher. He used to talk to his baseballs, and he was one of the first guys to get in trouble for using pot baseball nice and uh so there's a little baseball connection for you this reached number two and held that spot for over a month in the summer of 1978 and was blocked the entire time by one song shadow dancing by andy gibb
1: not even what it ruled the entire year i just don't i don't understand it i mean talk about that when just what i needed only reached number 27 you know what's number one Shadow Dancing Boogie Oogie Oogie by Taste of Honey <laughs>
2: They, it's <laughs> Oh,
1: no, shut up. I knew you were going to say that. So this was another one I texted my dad about. I texted in the album cover for City to City because it was very familiar to me. I'm like, did we have this in the album collection? And he said, I don't remember, but I really did like Baker Street. Uh-huh. And I was like, it is probably the best song of a year of incredibly good songs. But to touch on your idea of one hit wonder, another great song off of that album is called right down the line and i know you know it'll play it for you
2: i retract my one hit wonder statement <laughs> yes that's a very
1: familiar song to me yes yeah it's another great one off the album i started listening to that album from beginning to end just from the love that i found for those two songs fantastic yeah Great job. You too, man. Uh, And I know that there will be a lot of people who are at this point in the podcast are going, you guys didn't say anything about somebody. And I'm sorry, I really didn't want to leave them off the list. But go ahead. Tell us who you think that we are crazy for not even getting on our top seven songs.
2: We'd love to hear from you guys.
1: Absolutely. By the way, this is our last
2: formal episode of the season. This wraps up season four. D, congratulations. Season four.
1: You too, man. can't believe it's been four years. I'm still having a fantastic time. Me too. Dear listeners, Merry Christmas to you all. I hope you guys have a fantastic holiday season with your family. Thank you for allowing us to come into your lives for a little bit of time every week. It means everything to us that we can find joy in the same movies and music and other silliness that we love. We want you guys to have a great new year and we will catch back up with you in 2024.
2: Bye, guys. All right, D, we have to tell the story. So you and I, we went to see Die Hard with the guys from the Only in Oklahoma podcast. Yep.
1: The guys and the guys from Tasting Taste of Chokta. That's yeah. right.
2: Great bunch of dudes. And we kind of set up this meet. Mm-hmm. But you and I showed up late.
1: Yeah, we finished with our episode that you guys just listened to. And we said, oh, crap, we got to go. And we, we, gotta, we got to go right now. We hauled balls over there as fast as we can. <laughs> but... Can you have a movie without popcorn and candy? No, yeah, so you
2: can't. So we walk in and you're like, man, I'm 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 a little hungry. I gotta grab some snacks and, and a 55 gallon drum of popcorn, right? <laughs> now keep in mind we haven't met these guys in person. Which so- is the
1: small, by the way.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! So we, we had interacted with these guys a little bit on Facebook. We had exchanged some text, but we hadn't re- we didn't even really know what they looked like, nope, right? Nope, not a clue. So we walk into the movie. It's dark. They're showing the previews. Yeah. This is first impression time. Yeah. We look up. They wave at us. Like, hey, here we are. Uh-huh. We're like, hey, there they are. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I see all of their faces go like,
1: ooh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, because you got a water. And yeah. I got a water and a popcorn <laughs> and a Reese's Pieces and a Butterfingers. And I'm carrying all of those things. Yes. And as I see them, I'm looking at them. And I, I didn't trip. I flat out kicked <laughs> I kicked the step that I was going into and um, all of that stuff in my hands started <laughs> becoming a juggling act and it looked like old Jed was a millionaire because popcorn like spewed everywhere. Oh my gosh. And it so was... yes, they were, they were <laughs> guys we'd never met before. The first impressions, oh, D just spilled popcorn all over the movie theater. The, the popcorn explosion. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we had a great time
2: with those guys. That was a lot of fun, but uh, we had to tell the story of the popcorn explosion. Yeah.
0: Uh-oh. Here comes a flock of wens. <laughs> <laughs>